I want you to know from Jump Street that this series can be applied to anybody in their lives, any place, any spot, any relational spot, uh, married, divorced, going through a divorce, uh, single and not loving it, single and loving it. I want you to know that this, this message series can be applied. A lot of times I'm really nervous. You know, history has taught me in our, in our brief four-year history, it's taught me to be very careful with advertising relationship series to our in-house people. Not, not people on, not people that we're trying to reach outside the walls, but, uh, you know, if you're going through a rough spot, everybody's like, oh, I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't need that. You know, like, it's exactly what you need. You say, my relationship's great, man. I'm going to take this month to play golf. You still need this. It's going to be great. So I want you to know it's applicable for everybody, and I want you to be a part of this, man, and just to enjoy it. When I think of a relationship now, oh, 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 it is so much different than what I used to think of a relationship when I began dating. When I began dating, it was something to avoid, like prison or being a Colts fan. I mean, you just, you know, yeah, even after they won the Super Bowl, yeah, you know, you just, you know, you don't just avoid that, right? And as I began to date and, you know, be in relationships, I, I was banned on the run. I was like the Dukes of Hazard getting away from Roscoe. I, I was like Smokey and the Bandit. I would have a more relevant example, but I couldn't think of any of the episodes of Dora or iCarly that kind of fit escaping. So there's probably one out there, but I couldn't think of them. So, but that's where I came from. So I want you to know as you look at this, no matter where you are in your relational journey, if I could stand before you with a Red Sea miracle, a marriage of 12 years, with the same girl, nobody else, no other hugs and kisses from anybody else inappropriately other than my wife for the past 16 years, I want you to know if I can do that, if the Bible works for me, it will work for you. I just want you to know that out of the gate, okay? I want you to know that. That what we're going to do with this driven series is look at key biblical principles, overlay them on, on relationships. Okay, we're just going to lay it across. Like, here's this biblical pattern, and here's where we're at. Uh, and so culturally, some people look through the lens of culture. You know, that's, that's their lens they look through. So if culture says it, if it's said on Fox News or CNN or MTV or whatever the case may be, VH1, if it's, if it's advertised, if it's a thought, if it's propagated, that's the lens you take on. Some of us, culture's kind of a backdrop. You can tell, you know, there's some things we pull from culture, some of our values, and some we don't. It doesn't matter. I want you to know, however you're wired, you have a free will. So you are not locked into anything other than this is a biblical pattern. You are where you are, and, you, and the only thing that you have to do is, is intentionally apply anything that God highlights for you in this series. You have to have some intentionality. You've got to say, listen, I'm going to do this. I'm not only going to talk about it. I'm not going to cry about it in the service or whatever, laugh about it, or, or, or turn it, you know, give a mean face in the service or something I don't like. I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to apply it, and I guarantee you these things from the Bible will work. The cultural backdrop for relationships, some of us operate or grew up in a 50s kind of thing where dad was the authoritarian only. It was all about making dad happy. He went to work. He came home tired. Everybody was like, shh, if dad's having a bad day or woo, it's having a good day. Everybody's having fun. That's kind of that 50s thing. Mom stayed home. Or you may reverse that. You may have, you know, the stay-at-home dad and working mom. But it's kind of a 50s thing, and it's all about whoever whoever goes out in the workplace. Everything revolves around them as far as the home when they come home. 
then there was like this shift, and some of you guys were part of this, in the late 60s, you know, 50s, early 60s, that was the first one, L- late 60s, 70s, marriage became this institution where you go make yourself happy. Come and go. If it's working, get out. If it's not working, get out. If it's working, you've got this come and go, you know, let's accumulate. Kids were a necessary evil. Watch the movies. They are a reflection of that time period. You know, Omen and, and all the, you know, pets, all these, not pets, but some of these, everything was about teenage, you know, problems or kids are problems or they're evil. They, they were just, you know, this, this bother. They were this addendum. And, and uh, the account, you know, you accumulate with your mate. So the biggest thing you have to worry about with that mindset is who gets what if we get divorced? And then there's this 80s kind of this shift begin to take place and, uh, it's a, if it's a benefit to each person, it's all about cohabitating. It's all about sharing. The definition of what a relationship was, the definition of a traditional relationship really began to change officially in the 80s, kind of laid the groundwork for it in the 60s and 70s. But it really began to change. And you, and you have this, you know, everything is based on personal definement. You know, we share the load. We're trying to find happiness. So, you know, don't worry, be happy, all this kind of stuff. You know, find your happiness. Happy, happiness was never quite defined. It was kind of this nebulous thing that maybe it's physical, maybe it's things, maybe it's the soulmate, you know. It's, i got to find my soulmate. Maybe it's one of that. We don't know. But, but for whatever, it was kind of this nebulous thing, and, and, and the definition just, just began to st- change. It was doing stuff. It was having interests that really became highlighted, man, that kind of thing. And then from the 90s plus, marriage has kind of become vogue again, moved from kind of institution to this thing that is desirable. It's kind of like the 50s in that sense. But the twist is everything revolves around the kids. I mean, you have to feel bad if you don't revolve your life around your kids. If you don't, if, if their soccer schedule, football schedule, baseball schedule doesn't dictate your spiritual life, you're a bad parent. I mean, that, that is the message. It's the underlying current, and we just kind of flow in it. We don't know what to do with it. We want to spend time with our kids, but society's like, no, nah, we got to get them, you know, we, gotta, we want them or whatever. And, you know, divorce is a negative with the 90s-plus uh, family style or whatever or relationship bent. But the problem is... Because they were trained by people that grew up from the 60s to the 80s, they, they disdain divorce, but they don't know how to not get into one. So the divorce rate has just continued to rise from, from all these things that, that, that represent life points. We're multi-generational in this church, man. You've got, you've got everything here in both services. So you've got and some beyond that, like in the 40s. You've got stuff like that. So anyways, whatever, you've got this, this cultural backdrop. But I want you to know, once again, intentionality and action is all you have to worry about. I want to start from the beginning. I want you to look at Genesis 2 with me at these verses. Genesis 2. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Possibly one of my favorite all-time verses in the Scriptures. It's a pretty cool verse. But you've got this thing that God created of extreme intimacy of extreme fulfillment, this thing from the beginning that God, I mean, check it out. I mean, there was not a lot of competition for them, but nobody was saying they had their mother's hips or checking their side fat or, I'm, you know, I, I need to start working my pecs because I'm awkward. And there was no shame in their game from the beginning with this thing that God had created. 
Now we're going to fast forward to Mark 10, but before we do, I've got to ask you to do this with me. Don't go where the chapter appears to be going. We're going to reinforce this. You're going to read something. You're going, oh, here it goes. Here we go. Don't you do that. Just pause for a moment, put opinions to the side, and let's rock this thing out and see what God had to say in Mark 10. It's pretty cool stuff. This is Jesus talking directly. I want you to look at this with me. Mark chapter 10. We're going to jump right in at verse 1. Here we go. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. He's teaching. Jesus teaches some important info. He's going to let himself be interrupted, and I want you to see what they interrupt him with. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Remember, don't, don't go where you think you're going to go. Just hang with me, testing him. And he answered and said to him, what did Moses command you? They said, well, huh. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. Get rid of her. Dismiss me. no good reason. Hey, she may be mad. Hey, she didn't cook my dinner right. Hey, I've got feelings for the neighbor. Hey, i got a co-worker that day. Get rid of her. And then Jesus said this unto them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them. Male and female, check it out. He goes right back to the beginning. I mean, he refers to the beginning. For this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife. Primary responsibility. There's this thing taking place. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Here's what we have in Mark. We have covenant. Here's what we have in Genesis. Covenant. Divorce is taken care of with covenant. Now, we usually focus on the ritual piece of covenant. Well, pastors speak on this. They talk about the, they love to make show just how this is commitment on steroids. And they would cut an animal in half, which they would. And they would pass through joint hands. And they would, that was covenant. It was serious. And it was serious. But what sometimes we forget in the, in the circle called church, we forget to tell people is that covenant was meant to benefit both parties. Circumstances didn't matter. Your thought when you when you went into covenant, God said, "Be very careful who you go into covenant with. Don't, don't just do it flippantly. Don't just do it for a, an income boost or because you need help or because you need security or you need someone to take care of your kids and your work. Don't don't just do that. Do covenant. Come into this thing because God set this thing up in Genesis. He said, I "Want this to be very fulfilling. I want this to be very f- effective." And so circumstances didn't matter. People that entered covenant said. How can I fulfill my part of the covenant? A covenant revealed value and love and respect for both people. It's incredible. Covenant was from a depth of feeling and decision. It was like, I want to go into covenant and, and covenant, and I'm going to think this thing through, and I'm not going to do it flippantly. This is a vow. It is commitment on steroids, and I am going to do this, and I am going to do it, so help me God, if it means my life if it means my bank account, if it means my stability, if it means my sanity, I'm going to go into covenant. Covenant wasn't just used in relationships like husband and wife. It was used in businesses too. And so whoever looked in on the covenant setting, for everybody, covenant said, don't mess with that person. Hey, look, I'm going to move, I'm going to move my business against your business. I'm going to gobble your business up. The first thing they would do is say, who's he in covenant with? Because when you've got something that's united and functions as one, it is very, very difficult to destroy. 
And it's very difficult to take out, no matter the cash flow, the size of the opposition coming against it, the persuasiveness of the opposition. So it's said that whoever was looking at, are they in covenant? Because covenant had big ramifications. It had big benefits. It had big responsibilities. But somewhere along the line, man said, let's go from this covenant thing to contract. Because contract is, is more convenient. I mean, you don't have to slaughter animals to sign a contract. They had contracts then. You don't have to bloody things up. You don't have to make a big to-do. You can just run off and do contract. You don't have to take a vow for your businesses. You just do a contract, you know. That's, that's, what the, that's where contract came from. Circumstances, cash flow, how you feel, better opportunity. That's why Jesus wrote Mark 10 for the marriage piece. There was all this genius around trying to figure out how to get out of the contract or how to get there, you know, how to, how to mess over the other person. But here's the problem. Man went contract in Genesis 3. God still wants covenant. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Man says, let me get you a contract out. Listen, I, 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 I want to call you whatever I want to call you. I want to worship, I want, I want to take this, this image, and I want to worship this like this is you. I want to do what I want sexually. I want to go where I want. I want to think I want. I just want a contract. I need you to read the fine print, God. I need you to be okay with this. And God said, you know what? I am not okay with that because I am a covenant God, and I'm going to provide a way. I can't make you go into covenant. I desire you to go into covenant, the Father would say. I can't make you go into covenant. But I'm going to provide a way so that everybody, rich, poor, black, white, Latino, it doesn't matter, Asian, it doesn't matter your income, your socioeconomic background, none of that matters. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, and he said this, I want you to be able to come through my son, God says, and be in a covenant with me. I want you to connect with me. I don't want just this pipeline of prayer only. I don't want to just like bless and give and you give your money and I give you more stuff. I don't want just that. I, although this, all these things kind of begin to play in you know, this, these puzzle pieces, God says, I want to be in covenant with you. I want to be in covenant with you. And God says, I want your relationships, your intimate relationships to be covenant. Because that's where the most exciting, fulfilling, rewarding, value-giving, value-felt experiences for both parties involved. Some of you know this from your spiritual life. There was a day you were going along and you said, I do want to be in covenant with God. I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. And you bowed your heart and your knee to Jesus Christ. You begin to serve him and you begin to follow him and things begin to get weird. You and your wife begin to fight. You had a baby. One of your parents died. Somebody in your family got sick. And you just begin to spiral, centripetal, and you're flushing out like a toilet down in the sewer of your life. And God says, listen, I don't care if you're there. I want to bring you back. And so what you do is you look at the time that you had covenant, and you keep trying to go back to that moment, and you're just always back and forth fighting rather than enjoying the covenant, rather than walking in your relationship with God and enjoying that. And you, and you begin to do contracts, and you begin, you know, you're sexual, sexually frustrated, you're lonely, your marriage isn't working, your wife doesn't meet your needs, your husband doesn't meet your needs, you do all these contracts, and God's like, let's just throw all that away, and let's go back to the moment that we were saved, you were saved, and we became a covenant relationship. Some of us understand that with marriage. There was a time you were flying high as a kite, you were together, you were on the same page, you loved each other, there was nobody, you didn't even look at other people, you are just crazy about each other. And now that feeling has come and go and gone, and you're willing and ready and looking 
to get out of that. God would say, listen, man, I know what, 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 the, what the world says. I know the cultural backdrop. I know especially the cultural lens that's devoid of responsibility. But I want you to know the things that you desire the most, they're found in covenant. If you look at a car, and, and this is going to be cool because on the podcast, they can't see what I'm doing. I'm going to pick up the back end of this car. That's really cool. So they have to come and see Oh, wow, yeah. But under here, if you can see this, if this were a real car, you know, there, there is a, there's a frame underneath the real car. If the frame is too bent or destroyed, the car is scrapped. You can't have you can't you can't drive that car. You ever seen those cars that look like they're going sideways, like but they're really going straight and it always freaks me out, but then I can't take my eyes off of it because it just looks like it's gonna go off, you know, into outer space or something. There's a lot of relationships that operate like that. But you have to have the the frame healthy. There's points in the frame that certain things that are very important attached to or are connected to, either you know, directly connected to or, or you know, associated for that strength. They, they, that has to be the tensile strength in that frame. And if there's not, you have to scrap it. Here's what I want you to know up front. If you're in a relationship, the only time the frame has to be scrapped is if the other person is not willing to do the dirty work that you're willing to do to save the relationship. Let me say that again. If you're in a relationship and you want the relationship to be saved, if both people are willing to save the relationship, they're willing to do whatever it takes, they're willing to do whatever changes it takes, that frame of relationship can be straightened. That frame can be strengthened, and that relationship can get back on the road and be a safe, healthy vehicle for everybody that's involved in that relationship. But if one person in the relationship doesn't want it, doesn't want to do the work, doesn't want to change, doesn't want to turn to God, doesn't want to help, whatever the case may be that you both need to do, that's the only time a relationship cannot work. I want you to know that because we think a lot of things bend the frame up. That really, God says, that's fixable. You don't have to scrap that. And you get frustrated. It's like an insurance. Oh, man, well, this thing needs scrapped because you want a new car. You want somebody new. You're like, God, scrap this. God said, oh, you don't have to scrap this. We can fix this. But you have to be willing to let it be fixed and let God help you. And that's the deal, man. That's the way that it works. So this thing called frame, there's these five things, these five areas where these major pieces of relational relationship attached to the frame of covenant. And they've got to be strong points in a relationship. Now, you can argue that maybe there's 10, 10 points or all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But I would say without the five, the relationship's either going to go sideways or the car's not going to last very long. I want you to know that. If you're in the covenant of marriage, it can be fixed. I want you to know as long as you both are willing to do that. If you're living together, I want you to know this from the cultural experience. I want, we're going to look at the cultural backdrop. Nine out of ten relationships where the people are living together out of covenant do not work and or are extremely unhealthy. If you've ever watched someone that has the belief that it doesn't matter, marriage is a contract, it's not a covenant, and you've ever watched those people 20, 25 years, they can have like four of the things we're going to look at today, but they, they have, or maybe even maybe five, I doubt it, probably four, but their, but their relationship is so unfulfilling. It's so discouraging to look at. You're like, why don't you guys just commit to covenant, man? You know, well, we've got stuff. They get that 60s and 70s. We've got all this stuff. We don't know how to divide it. Or she wants to be in charge or he wants to be in charge. And I can't go 50s on it. And I don't like their kids or whatever the case may be. I want you to know, though, if, if you're living together and you have no intentions of getting married, not judging you, I'm saying the stats 
are against you that nine out of ten times that relationship is going to be scrapped at some point. And it doesn't have to be. I want you to know that also. If you're dating and you want to know if the frame was bent, you're going to know the checkpoints today. You're going to know what to look for. And, and I would encourage you to look at these five areas. If any one of them's missing, I beg you to do what many of us have done and put that relationship on hold or step out of that relationship. Oh, how I wish I had not had to learn what I'm going to share with you today the hard way. I, I have been very blessed. I got married really late. I, I mean, it's a Red Sea miracle that I'm standing here married today. It's, I'm, it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that we have the relationship that we have. It is a testament to what God can do with biblical principles by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you will have intentionality and say, God, I don't, I'm trying things. I don't like really what you have to say, but my way's not working. I'm going to apply these in my life, and I begin to watch these bloom in my life. And from these are birthed a lot of that information. And what I've watched over the years a lot, and I'm, and I'm kind of a people observer. You probably get that from a message. I just study people all the time. And you know, myself and everybody else, and, and there's just a lot of things that, that we pass over and we excuse that are so important. And I don't want you to miss these non-negotiables. And if one area is weak, I beg you to reconsider. If you're married, consider strengthening that area. If you're single, consider putting that relationship on hold or doing what it takes to get to the next level. Look at this with me. Spiritual drive. You can write that down. Spiritual drive. What drives your relationship? I'm not talking about church talk. I'm not talking about Papa was a preacher. I'm not talking about you made a decision in church one day when your heart was broken, or you made a decision you know, because somebody's putting pressure on you, or you made a real decision, man. I'm, we're not knocking any of that because we, we do that here, and I, I've done that, and many of you have done that. But, but the thing is, there has to be this, this spiritual intentionality. If, you, if you're not a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to do this. If you're not a Christ follower, don't raise your hand. I want you to know this, though. If you're not a Christ follower and you're dating someone who is a Christ follower, I would get out of the relationship until you figure out what you're going to do with Jesus Christ because they are going to get in your way of understanding and finding God. Their neediness, their, their realization, their lack of obedience to Scripture, if they know those verses about, about dating someone that is not spiritually connected to God in the way that they are, then I want to encourage you, if you are not a Christian, to put that relationship on hold, investigate Jesus Christ, because he, he's crazy about you, he loves you, he can make the difference in your life, and that person will get in the way. If you are a Christ follower, and you are in a relationship, I want to encourage you, if you're dating, to think about... Uh, to consider this, to consider not marrying what the Bible says someone who's not a Christ follower, to get into covenant with someone who doesn't have the same, same spiritual foundation as you is very dangerous. I want to take it a step further. This is my opinion. That's what the Bible says. I want to give you my opinion at this point. I want to say whatever level you're at spiritually, whatever level you desire, find someone that wants the same things that you do. I got a story the other day, man. One of my friends, bivocational pastor, great friend of mine, I heard that he had, had had some troubles, and it looked like from the outside it was laziness and just couldn't keep a job. I found out from him that he was starting a new situation. His wife made out with somebody else. Both of them went to Christian college together. Both of them, you know, the whole nine yards, the whole Christian thing, the Christian dynasties in their background. And the first sign of trouble, the first sign of minimal stress that every relationship goes through at some point, she ran to her old boyfriend from college and made out with him while he was on a business trip. 
But you know what? If McGrow would have done his background information, that may have been avoided. They're working through it. But they are both Christ followers, and they both have different that they both have different levels of commitment. I don't have any doubt that she's a Christ follower, but I do have doubt their their commitment levels because whatever you whatever you turn to when you're in the crunch is your spiritual value. That's your value system. If you turn to medication, if you turn to alienation, you know where you become your own god and you got to feel sorry for yourself and you're victimized, you won't get help. Then, then whatever you turn to when the pressure's on and the screws are screwed down and the pressure's cranked up and the heat is up and you're having a hard time breathing, that is what your value system is. And that's why I encourage you, if you are a Christ follower, find someone who wants to commit to Christ the way you do. It's not always easy. I, I got saved in the 80s when spirituality was absolutely uncool. Then God called me to full-time ministry. You know, so I started here. Here's all the dating pool of my life. Okay, then you take my looks, and it takes me to about here. You know, it's like I'm working from this spot. That's why Crystal has readers and not real glasses. I can get out of the depth of those readers, man. I get 20 feet away, I look pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I look better, right? Then you say I'm a Christ follower. Then you say I'm going to ministry. Then all the Christian girls even flip that. Oh, we don't want to go to Africa to be a missionary. Like, I'm not going to be an African missionary. I'm going to be in America. That's, you know, that's my thing. And woo. So for me to be able to speak this, so what I did is I didn't believe that at first, like the God could, like, break somebody in my life. So I tried to make everybody that I dated the one. Lord, I'm attracted to her. It must be your will. Lord, she thinks I'm funny. This is definitely of God. And then we begin to bond, begin to connect. There was no spiritual connection there. So I learned things the hard way, like some of you do. So I finally, I, I just, I exhausted that. And I finally surrendered, which some of you heard my story. I surrendered on Chamberlain Road. And I said, God, I'm yours. My relationship's yours. My relational life is yours. I want somebody. Here's my, here's my thing. I wanted somebody. The attraction piece is a given. I wanted somebody that wanted to follow Jesus on their own, that I'd have to be the pastor, their big brother, their crutch, you know, hey, let me be your crutch for Jesus. And then they would bail, and I would see their car at their old boyfriend's house, or I would be, like, getting tired of that, and I would go to an old girlfriend's house or whatever. Get tired of that. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore case, so I have to learn things the hard way. But I realized the spiritual foundation that God really knew what he was talking about. Because I had become a Christ follower, and for the life of me, I could not make these things work outside of that. So the spiritual drive, the emotional drive, do you own what's yours, release what's yours? I'm talking about the day-to-day stuff. Do you fill the tank of the person you're with? Not what fills your tank. What fills your tank will probably not fill the emotional tank of the person you're with. You know, my wife and I have different love tanks, man. She wants to watch a movie with me. Hold my arm, share popcorn. I can't move my arm to eat the popcorn, but that's okay because she's comfortable there. And then whatever, you know, like just like a cat trying to get comfortable. And I'm just, I want to just see things blow up. I want to see things, you know, blow up and cars drive fast. And I don't care about the plot. I don't care about solving the mystery and all this stuff. I just want to see car chases and things blow up. And she wants to hang on my arm. But that's her love language is being close. My love language is different. But I, but as I've gotten older, begin to learn some of this stuff, this emotional stuff, this peace that God has made us emotional beings, and begin to invest in, in her. And weekly say, am I investing in her? And I can always tell when I haven't invested in her enough 
emotionally. It's so evident. She's frustrated with me. And our relationship's kind of stalled. And the same way with her, with me. I mean, it's just the way it goes. What fills their love tank? And you cannot force someone to have your love language. Hey, ladies, please listen to me. You cannot force someone to have your love language. Hey, guys, listen to me. You can't ignore their language because it's not like yours. You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't work. But that emotional drive is such a piece. And you've got that communication drive. And I know whatever, (laughs) if you're newly dating or newly married, I know you're not going to listen to this, but you will, I hope. Um, I know that you communicate well. I know that when you go on a date, she goes to her place, you go to yours, you're texting each other, drawing little pictures, you know, hearts, my face, hearts, and, you know, backward, don't equal sign, less than, and, you know, that means I love you or something, then your language, okay, I get it. I know you've told all your secrets. I know there's nothing about you, you, they don't know. Nothing. But that is not communication. It's only one part of it. What you do with that information, here's how you tell. You tell them your deepest, darker secrets. The next time you get into a situation close to that, what happens? They begin to control. They're worried about you. They're going to call you every five minutes. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Unhealthy communication. You're going to try to orchestrate everything so they don't make you feel insecure because of what they told you. Lack of communication. You are angry. They are angry. There's a cold wind blowing. There's a big furious storm. You don't know why. Lack of communication. It's not what you say. It's what you do with what you say. It's how you process what has been told to you that determines your communication level. Get in a fight with each other. Pick a fight after a big secret and watch what happens. What do you remember the other night you told me you liked it? Yeah. Guess what? You have a lack of communication. They have not worked through that. Then you come back with, remember when you told me that secret? I'll tell you what, you know what that means? Lack of communication. Now, every day you know everything about each other, but you haven't processed everything. And it takes time to learn how to do that. Some of you think because you shared all your secrets in two weeks and you've been in love since week three that suddenly your relationship's going to last. But I promise you, you have not learned to communicate if you haven't learned to deal and process what they've told you and come out with a mutual win. We're not holding stuff against each other. And you're at peace with the dirty secrets that they told you. If you're not at peace with dirty secrets, you've you got a glitch in the communication line. There's a kink in the line. One of the fiber optics are broken. You need to replace that cable. God can help you do that. There's character drive. Who are they when no one's around? Not who are they when they're around your parents. Not who do you want them to be. Not who you see them as. They're just misunderstood. People just don't understand that. I mean, they've got this pattern of their life in an area of lying or lack of commitment or not paying their bills or laziness or running out of a relationship. But you're going to be the one that storms the Bastille and rescues that poor soul. Mm-mm. If they're care, they are who they are. Once you marry, you get worse. When you get married, you don't get better. After you begin to work at it a while, you get better. You make each other better. But you have someone that has a lazy streak. You have someone that has a fear issue, and you're going to come in. It's all about your love. It's your love. Just does something to me. Sends a shock right through me. Can't get enough. And you think it's going to change them? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There's only one person that can change people. His name is Jesus Christ. Only one. He died and rose again. You could die and rise again. You might be able to pull that off too. It's not going to happen though. He was sinless. We aren't. That character drive. 
How do they handle responsibility? If they have kids, how do they treat their kids? You know, they're single. How do they treat their mom? If they're treating their parents bad, do they want to treat them better? That's one of the things you have to ask. You know, just, just moving that direction. Moving that way. If you see signs of life, one of the things, my wife took a big gamble on me. But one of the things she saw in me was I was going to counseling and I was getting help and I was reading books before she came into my life. And that didn't change when she entered my life. I didn't do those things to get her. I didn't even know that I was going to get her. I did those things because I wanted my life to be better. She took a big gamble. She rolled the big dice. You know, some say she (laughs) should have tried again. But anyways, we're together, right? And it's working. It's awesome. But that communication piece and that character piece, man, who you are is going to come out. Who you are when no one is around is what you are. Who you are when no one is around is what you struggle with. Who you are and what you struggle with when no one is around is what God wants to develop in your life. Just because you have a character issue doesn't mean that God can't help with that too. But I'm going to tell you this, intentionality and taking action. You're not going to go from lazy to setting the world on fire somebody offering you a CEO job because you decided in a church service one day, I, I don't want to be lazy anymore. You can't go and say, listen, I'm, a, I'm the biggest liar. I lie like a rug, but I don't want to do that anymore, and I've asked God to help me. God is going to put you in situations where you have to stop lying. You, you may be one that blows relationships up, and, and, and God's going to say, listen, you're going to have to have a time of appearing loneliness in the wilderness for you to have the relationship you want. Because if I give you this thing now, the character level you have, the emotional level you have, you're going to blow that thing up. So I want you to know the reality with what God's asking. There's intentionality. And there's just taking action. And I want you to know that God loves you and will help you do those things. You're not a lost cause. You're not a loser. You're not a baboon. You're not the only guy or gal that's ever faced this. You are not alone. God can make the difference in your life. And then there's this piece of physical drive. Single people, here's what I want you to know. We have elevated this to a level that it cannot sustain. And in the church has tried to repress it to a level that God never wanted. God wants sex to be take, to take place one man, one woman, in a bond, in a covenant bond. We spun the dice in the eighties. We said, "No, nah, man, I think two girls together, which became every man's fantasy." Unfortunately, two girls together or two guys together, which is not every woman's fantasy. I think that's the thing. And God says, "That's not covenant, man." Oh, wait a minute, I think if we, you know, just have friends with benefits and we just call on each other, just meeting each other's needs so the right one comes along, God says, yeah, that's not covenant and that doesn't work. I want you to know this about sexuality. The time you spend trying to exercise or, 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 or libido excursion, spend that time discovering who you are. Because if you will do that, discovering who God made you to be, to surrendering those things, if you'll spend that time, God will bring the right one and the sex will be out of sight and you can grow together as lovers. You can grow together in that bond and that covenant and it's a lot of fun. It's much more fulfilling than going from one person to the next and having that shame game when you leave their house, like, boy, that was fun and, you know, I've got to go take a shower now and, but, man, I don't know if I should call them again and, and we think, no, no, and then we get in the covenant, then married people are like, we get in the covenant, like, oh, that was so fun, and that was the way, man, I missed that lifestyle. We forget how unfulfilling it is. God created covenant. He created physical intimacy to experience, to experience in that covenant, and that that situation would be the most fun, the most guilt-free, the most fulfilling, the most exciting. No matter how, some people just aren't, they're not serial monogamous. They've been with the same person. Look at people that have lived together for 25 years or dated 25 years, 20 years, 10 years with no commitment. Look at the underlying better. 
bitterness, look at the underlying frustration. It's there because God set up this thing called covenant. Anything not covenant gets frustrating and doesn't work. Any, any area of covenant that isn't worked on or looked at or investigated or applied, the relationship begins to get sideways. The frame gets bent. That's just the way it works. If you're married, so you don't have to try the car out before you buy it. That's a big lie. Great lovers are made, not born. You're welcome. <laughs> if you're married and you were attracted to each other, because I, I was in an extreme situation. I got, see, I, I mean, I lived in the most promiscuous 70s house with the most promiscuous philosophy. I had no curfew. I had all the freedom. I mean, I was, I was playing romantic music, turning the lights down low when I was six. I just learned to do that. Didn't know what I was doing. But I knew to get them on a beanbag and be romantic and say things. I knew to do that at six. I don't even remember how, how I knew that. I remember looking at pornography at the first time I remember from age five on. So I got to experience that. Then I go to Bible college where it's just about quoting verses. And I still had this thing called pheromone attraction like you do. And they're like, it just, just matters if you love Jesus. And so these were emotional Nimrods, and they couldn't do anything physically, so they're like, oh, I love you, I love you too, they're just pushing their eyes, oh, it's going to be great, we get married, yeah, and they never think, you know, I'm just, you got a lot of hormones, and I'm extremely sexually frustrated, and I don't know if I like you, because a dude could be like, you know, I, you've got a voice box, and you look like a girl, I, I, I love you, you know, at, at 19, at 20, you know what I'm saying? Then, you, then you're pushed to get into a marriage at 19 as a girl. You're like, oh, he's going to be great. You know, and he's, a, he's the next Adolf Hitler, man. Because you, you haven't done the checks. You haven't done the, you haven't done the frame check, man. So I got to see both extremes in my life. And what, I, what I saw from the scriptures was this, and from my own personal journey. You've got to have a sexual, physical attraction. You don't have to act on that all the time when you're single to prove it. Or to prove your, it doesn't prove your love. It doesn't prove your connection. That's all on security. God says, take that time. Focus on me and you. Then you come into this relationship. You're out of the gate. From jump streets, you're having a great sex life and a great emotional life. If you spend the time that you spend trying to get laid on you as a single person, you'll have a much better relationship when you get married. Married people. If there was a time you were, you were attracted to each other, why not now? B.O.? Emo, busy, CO, your calendar's off, too tired at the I mean, What is it, man? Rearrange your life. For women, the sexual experience makes them feel close and secure. For men, check this out, ladies, please know this. It doesn't make them feel secure. Their job, their conquering makes them feel secure. Their relationship with God will bring the identity that brings real security. They feel loved and close to you. In the sexual experience. Just totally different. So ladies, that, that's why, you know, when he's chasing you around, he's been a jerk all day. He's really not just trying to use you for your body. He's just too stupid to realize that, that the rest of the day equals a culmination for you. And if he hasn't done it perfect, don't hold that against him. You can grow together because great lovers are made, not born. And you can tell each other secrets in here. It's the most intimate space, man. And we run from this. Everybody goes, oh, man, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I know how to get this done. And then, you know, you're a big loser in the bed. God can help with all of that. There's books, man. You say, Jay, I'm not going to read a second book. Read the book of Song of Solomon. It's rated X, man. 
rated X in the Bible. Good stuff in there. It's real good. In fact, I might read it today. It's really good stuff. The checks, man. The frame. I've gone way too long today, and forgive me. But I, I want you to get this out of the gate. Frame. That spiritual drive, that emotional drive, that, that, that you know, communication drive, that character drive. Whatever's missing, work on it beginning today. If you're married, be honest with the other person about it. If you're not married, take the foot off that accelerator. Because it proves nothing for you to get in a relationship and prove you love one another by sleeping together. If you're hanging out all the time, they crash your car when you get married or when you start living together six months later. It proves nothing other than that you don't understand intimacy. You don't understand the covenant. God is looking for covenant, not a contract. And wherever you are on that continuum, there's no judgment from the stage from me to you. There's just a holy desire for you to have an awesome relationship and for you to be able to connect with your spouse and for you to be in a relationship that meets your needs and for you to have have the cash flow, the character thing, the physical thing, the sexual thing. I want all of that for you. It's all found in the Bible. And that's that's what I want you to know today. Let's pray together.